You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 425. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we conclude our look at the German Netflix post-apocalyptic series, Tribes of Europa. Today is Labor Day here in the States, and uh, you guys, it sounds like you get an extra day before having to go back to school because of uh, Rosh Hashanah, so that's, that's cool. Yeah, a little extended Labor Day weekend, nothing wrong with that. No. So, uh, now for us here at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, next up is the superhero film Deadpool, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say anything, I watched it last night. Nice. So I'll save all my comments for the uh, podcast, and and hopefully I'll get to take a look at it again. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. a movie that uh, the the first time you, you got you almost have to watch it the second time to kind of figure out because it does have some nonlinear narration going on there. Yeah, it, definitely, and, and and of course one of the uh, narrative techniques they use. I think to great effect, and here I am talking about it, and I said I wasn't going to, <laughs> is the whole breaking the fourth wall. So yes. uh, well, let's, let, let me stop. We'll save, it. Yeah, we'll, yeah, start, yeah. we'll save it for next week. We'll, we'll start talking about Deadpool. And, yeah, and uh, then we'll have to do this that will next, be next week. Time. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you guys want to contact us about anything you're watching, anything we're talking about, Deadpool, you can e- reach us by email at sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. All right, so why don't you go first this week on what we're watching? Because I got a big one. Okay, that's what she said. Um, yeah. So <laughs> set myself up for that one. <laughs> um, so uh, was it Thursday? Friday was um, Money Heist or La Casa de Papel. Uh, new season, new part, new chapter came out. Uh, so I went back and I, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't go all the way back to watch parts one and two again, even though that was, it was, it's all great, but I just kind of wanted to keep up on the last things that were happening. So I, I'm, uh, I watched, uh, part three of it and then I'm right now watching part four and, you know, that show is just, it's awesome. It's so crazy. Like part of it is it just embraces being kind of just completely insane just like these very dramatic things happen and it goes from you know a, a big swing one way to a big swing the other and as soon as they something great happens for this crew something horrible is going to happen and i just i love that it doesn't even pretend to like not be ridiculously over the top with pretty much everything it does but then you know it's the at the heart of it, though, is the, the characters that we really care for and like. So it's cool. Though, you know, don't go robbing banks. So that's that's not necessarily a way. Uh, the other thing is I finally uh, finished off my Jurassic rewatch with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which I think I'd only seen maybe once before. And I thought I didn't like it, but I went back and watched it. I'm like, oh, this is actually a pretty good movie. So unlike... The original three Jurassic Park movies where the first one was awesome, but the other two were not. Here, they've they've managed to to still avoid some of the mistakes that Steve... I, I didn't realize Steven Spielberg made the second one. That was like... you know, I, I always say he's never made a bad movie, but apparently he's made at least one bad movie. So 
but you know some of the missteps that the in the original trilogy and kind of turning it just into like a monster movie survival thing and, and there's still that element in this but of course it's i think the the big part about the jurassic park movies that give them that added weight is this idea of human hubris which we've talked about before you know um technology outpacing you know morality or or, or consideration or thought or reflection and then the the consequences of that so uh jurassic world fallen kingdom uh thumbs up uh the the new third one of, of the new series i think is coming out soon and looking forward to that so cool well i did see money heist pop up on my netflix feed and i, I definitely thought of you and and the one show that i've been meaning to try and i finally did see the first episode uh, i believe it's on hbo max and that's carla gugino's jet where she plays a, a thief who gets out of prison and gets involved in a heist of sorts and i i gotta say as much as i like her I'm wondering whether these heist shows are really for me or whether it's just the way things turned out in this first episode. You know, you've always said, and I agree with you, don't put children in harm's way and definitely don't let bad things happen to them. And it's not so much that children, you know, you were put in harm's way, but, but they kind of were because she has a daughter and now she gets in with the Russian mob and they're controlling her. I'm like, nah, no, I don't think I'm going to keep going on. But I mean, it was good for what it is as a heist show. It was, you know, it was pretty good, but the one that I did really like, and I'm already ready for, for how you're going to (laughs) react when I bring this one up. Okay. Let's have it. It is a Netflix film and I believe it was 2016, but I think they just dropped it on Netflix called American ultra. Have you seen that pop up in your feed? It hasn't. I don't think. Starring Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart. Ah. Dude. um, Okay. I've said many times on this podcast. I I, I truly do. I really love Kristen Stewart. I just just like her. Yeah. You know what? I actually heard her. uh, She was on the Howard Stern show. I don't know if it was a replay or not, but I was just kind of flipping the dial and I heard her on Howard Stern. And she actually sounds like to be like a really, really cool person. So I'll back off of my Kristen Stewart uh, slamming of you there. Well, I mean, okay, this is the movie's called American Ultra, and, and dude, I, 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 she is ultra cute, at least in in my eyes. But they star as a couple struggling in life and their relationship. You know, they have a little house. It's not clear whether they own it. They probably rent it. But you know, he's a mess, and he works in a a, a mini mart, and and it's pretty clear she just kind of takes care of him. But but they're in love with each other, and you know, he. he has this big thing where he saves up all his money uh, and he's going to take them on a romantic trip to Hawaii where he's going to propose. But what happens is he turns out to be a sleeper CIA assassin who's been scheduled for retirement. And I'm making air quotes. Connie Britton stars as the CIA agent who, really i guess mothered him again making air quotes and now tries to help him avoid termination there's some really interesting twists fred you're not going to like it it is ultra violent and over the top violent and ordinarily i don't like that but 
when you're making no pretense about not going over the top, I, I seem to be better with that. And it just, I mean, it was just everything that you want to happen happens. And, you know, it's again, it's like a 90 minute movie, but for what it is, I thought it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. And typically I don't enjoy these kind of movies. And look, I mean, yes, I love Kristen Stewart, but if it was a bad movie, even she's not enough to keep me you know, occupied. So anyway, American ultra, if you're into that sort of thing, it's definitely worth checking out. Well, that's so funny because like you started off, I'm like, uh, um, as you were talking about for the first like minute or so, I was like, this is definitely no. And then all of a sudden it kicked in. You're like, Oh, sleeper CIA agent. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, and I, and I think a good way to, to think of it is your favorite stoner movie merged with your favorite jason bourne movie all and right that's kind of what you have in american you know, ultra I, I like both those types of movies so you know i think maybe i should check out this check this one out cool all right well let's get to tribes of europa chapter six which is episode six of season one the finale written by benjamin seiler yana burbach and philip cock directed by philip cock the series dropped February 19th, 2021 on Netflix. Um, still no word of a season two, which isn't surprising. And then that led me to the internet. And there's still no word of a season three of Ragnarok either. Although in the Reddit thread, somebody posted a story on some random website that it's clearly just clickbait that's implying that oh it's going to be announced in september when season three is is going to appear but i think they're just making all that up just to get you to click the link so yeah yeah it's, it's funny how many like you see things like because they're always popping up you know like oh you know you know whatever show you're very interested in there's going to be some story popping out about the next season and you click on it and it's just bs you know it's just like it's the the first three quarters of it is a summary of the show so far and then at the end they're like well if you know you know if this happens and this happens or according to past you know what netflix has done in the past you know so it's just obviously not the you know like you said just someone wants you to to try uh, and hopefully click on that and then maybe inadvertently click on some of the other crap they have on their website that so well yeah and and not that den of geek has crap on their website but they certainly do use that technique uh ragnarok season three release date and then you get to the story it's like well we still don't know when the release date is yeah. going to happen mm-hmm. so there you but go thank you for clicking on their link <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks. uh all right well let's get to tribes of europa um you know, each of the siblings has its own or has his or her own cliffhanger. And I I think they're really well done. I, I think the story is, is really picking up. And you know, we've talked before, six episodes doesn't quite seem enough for these serialized shows that they're only putting out once a year. Now, on the other hand, maybe they're motive is that well that'll force them to go back and rewatch the previous season or seasons which you know as you've mentioned many times you like to do anyway mm-hmm. but first with with Elia and Moses they make contact with the Atlanteans uh, the ark 
if we know what the ark actually is, which we still don't really know, but something is underwater related to the Atlanteans. Is their entire society underwater? Well, we don't know at this point. I mean, we know that they have hover jets. So do do the hover hover jets come out of the water? Um, You know, maybe. I mean, I guess we have reports of UFOs that, are submersible, according to the eyewitnesses. But uh, you know, the first story with Elia, Moses, and the cube, and you know that scene where they're still at the uh, the bar, and Elia has sneaked out of the bar. He's got the cube. He's, I guess, planning on leaving Moses behind. And you know, on the one hand, that doesn't surprise me because he's so mission focused on getting this cube to the Atlanteans. He doesn't know whether he can really trust Moses because Moses wants to sell it. But I don't know. Were you surprised that he initially left and then had second thoughts and went back? Um, no, because he has bonded with Moses, and even though you know, I mean Moses is your, we've talked about his kind of anti-heroic characteristics, and certainly those are on full display here as the is spilling his guts to the crows like nobody's business. But no, I wasn't surprised when he went back. I think he, you know, he's basically a, a good kid, and and it it would sit. You know, it wouldn't sit right with him if he knew that he just left Moses to be killed. Yeah, and and we've certainly talked about some of his decision-making along the way, but his bravery has never been in question, and and certainly it's on full display here. And he gets back in there. Bracker is gravely wounded. There are dead bodies all over the place that uh, we assume the crows killed. And, And then, of course, Moses, when he sees him, he didn't betray me after all, but the cube turns into a weapon and we we saw that at the end of last week's episode, but dude, what it's only got one shot before it has to power up again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we know the cubes in bad shape, right? I mean, they brought here to be repaired. So, well, that's true. I guess they, they, he was lucky he got, but obviously the, the one shot was more than enough to, uh, to get the crow's attention and, but but then it's it's very funny how it you know the the cube publicly announces that it's shutting down. <laughs> it's just like uh, yeah. run. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know Moses last week talked about feeling like a father to Elia, and and I think one of the things that really strikes me about his mission focus is not only that he wants to keep the promise to the dead pilot, but in his mind, his family's dead. I mean, he's got no reason to really think that his brother, sister, and father survived, even though we we know they have to this point. So Moses is, for all intents and purposes, his family. Does he have the forethought to, to think like, well, I'll get this back. The Atlanteans will welcome me into their family, and that'll be the next stage of my life. Is he that well, forethinking? Right. I don't. I don't know if he is because, as we've seen, well, like you know, well, that's kind of like the one thing you're talking about, like thinking ahead and planning and everything. That doesn't seem to be like 
a big thing with any of our characters because they're just life is is so violent and random it's difficult to think more than one step ahead of yourself right so i think yeah especially keanu uh, you know maybe live we see is able to kind of make plans but even then her as we see her plans go completely to shit you know there, it's impossible in this world to to really plan or strategize anything because everything is just so chaotic and random but you know with elia i think you know in this world of of, of chaos he is kind of like you know i think emerson would appreciate how he kind of follows his heart and follows what he thinks is right you know that's a very transcendentalist idea of um you know listening to that iron string right so I think that's just what he's doing. He's going with what he feels is right. Cause you're right. There's, you know, what is there for, he thinks like the, the Atlanteans and the cube and everything is tied in with black December. It's tied in with stopping the swarm. And of course we did see that, you know, that image last week of, of, you know, the, the cube showing them this oncoming, you know, swarm that that's coming their way. He doesn't really have, you know, per se, like hard fact, factual evidence to prove that the cube is going to help people or save the world or whatever, but he just feels like that's the case. Yeah, and I think that's a great assessment, and especially when you think about his companion, because each of the siblings has a companion that you know, they're developing some sort of a relationship with. And, you know, his with Moses is very strange. On the one hand, it is like a father figure. But then when they get there and there doesn't appear to be anything welcoming them, and eventually Moses gets a little impatient and starts mocking him, oh, maybe a golden city will appear. But, but then you know, at the end, he says, all right, fine, we'll wait here as long as you want to wait. You know, on the one hand, Moses feels he's been duped by Elia, which is sort of ironic, <laughs> given that he's supposed to be the one with the experience. But all of a sudden, the, the frustration, I guess, gets to Elia, and he throws the cube in the water, and then we go back to poor decision-making. Now, mm-hmm. fine, it, it turned out fine, but that wasn't on the surface a good decision to make at this point. Well, you know, maybe a little bit in, in in his defense. I don't think he really threw it that far. I think they probably could have recovered it. Though I guess it must have been deep enough that a big cube can pop out. I, I mean, well, see, just like thinking about it, like, just like on a practical basis, like that's either a very steep drop off from the beach because that cube didn't go very far into the water. Well, well, right. And, and, you know, that's one of the questions that I had when I rewatched it, because, of course, something rises out of the water and appears like a giant cube. And I didn't take screen caps to, to, you know, compare the two. It's clearly some sort of entrance, which, you know, we see them enter at the end of the episode. But on further review, does the cube activate this entrance or is the cube the entrance? In other words, does the right. cube go in the water and then suddenly get bigger and yeah. it becomes the entrance? And we assume 
you know, make some sort of a connection to whatever's below the water. So it probably doesn't matter really for, for the uh, sake of the story at this point that what matters is they've entered this cube and it looks like there's some sort of an elevator there in the background waiting to open. And, and presumably that's what we'll see in season two. But, you know, for now, there they are. And yep. they've got their own yeah. TARDIS. They do. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, w- with Liv and the Crimsons going to Bratok, uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but David has staged a coup. Of oh, sorts. Well, of sorts. He just <laughs> okay. popped the leader right in the head. So, yeah. Right. I think so. so. But, you know, like, yeah, he is definitely showing this megalomaniacal, maniacal, sorry, side of himself that I guess kind of was hinted at before, but not really. But now he's like full on Napoleon now, you know? Man. And, uh, you know, for this aspect of the story we see right at the beginning Liv is in full military gear including a helmet and we've talked many times uh, i think we both dig girls with guns i mean sorry i know that's terrible probably thing to say but i guess the other thing it's like kind of digger in that military uniform and the helmet sort of uh just, yeah i don't know about the crossbow though that kind of ruins it a little well bit i was thinking the same thing but <laughs> Okay, fine. I, I, I'll roll with that. But at, at first, I was wondering what what is that little credit card looking thing that right. she's got, and then of course she gives it to uh, uh, David's second in command and explains how to get him out. And you know, talking about Moses and Elia's relationship. Well, for her, this relationship that she thought she had, and, and we've talked about motives below the surface well she has been duped and you know on the one hand we see the way she manipulates greta but she's been played here apparently by by david and his men because we assume this has been their plan all along which is to start a war because we have to assume he knows that we've got the numbers, we've got the equipment, we can defeat the crows. Okay, I, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but right. I'll, I guess that's what we have to assume, right? Yeah, uh, well, I, yeah. I don't. We don't know if all that is true, though. I mean, yeah, they obviously they have a pretty, you know, sizable amount of of equipment and weaponry and everything. But I mean. They're even a little nervous about going through. What is that? The the Femen, the Femen, the yeah. You know their yeah. land, and at the end we see they're just people on horses. So if they're a little concerned about them, then taking on the crows might not exactly be in their wheelhouse. But of course, right? But right? But do you start a war? You you, you think you can't win? Oh no! I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure, David. I David absolutely thinks they can win the war. Okay, and and you know he has set it up so that the crows will be blamed for shooting father Cameron. And we assume it's only his men that will know the truth, but Liv knows the truth, which, which is of course, you know, an added narrative detail that, that really, uh, 
you know, sells that aspect of the story. But before we even get to that point, when the crimson vehicles have to start stop as down trees block their path, and and I think everybody is thinking, ah, classic setup. Mm-hmm. They were put there deliberately. They're, yeah, they're going to be ambushed. For the ambush, yeah. We, I, and, I figured it was coming, but it didn't. Yeah, and, yeah, and I love the fact that it didn't. Yeah, because. Yeah. It would have been so easy to go down that path. But what I did notice. Well, before you go, you know what I didn't love about that was the fallen branches that you had to take care of because we've had a little spot of bother here in uh, the southeastern United States recently. Well, that's true. uh, A huge branch uh, cracked off our tree, which was crazy. Like listening to it, like. I thought it was just my daughter had dropped a bunch of marbles upstairs or something. I was like, what are you doing up there? She's like, I think the branch just fell off. You know, So it like took out our fence. And so uh, two days ago, basically, I spent uh, pretty much a whole day, cha- which actually using my chainsaw was pretty cool. I don't get to do that very often. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I had to cut up so much crap. So it was a little painful seeing them pulling at that, that down branch. It's just brought back okay. too many recent memories. Well, that's understandable. But what I also noticed, Liv seemed to be the only one that was really on guard expecting an ambush. We don't see her being ordered to take the point in this case and and you know all the other men are engaged in removing the branches which which could be the the case. But what really comes out of that scene also is her conversation with father who acknowledges not that we needed it that that they are in fact in germany but that that whole idea of rebuilding which is one of my pet peeves that i mentioned last time in in these post-apocalyptic stories that why haven't you started rebuilding things what's preventing you and 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 i get that periods of chaos may prevent that and certainly that's a valid point but his statement that europa is going to be made what it once was under a crimson flag. The European idea will never die. And I'm thinking, well, what does he mean by that? You know, really, I, I guess I, I'm not sure what he means. Is the European idea that we can have all of these different countries, all of these different cultures living together in this one land mass? And if that's what he meant, fine. Okay, I get it. But... Europe's track record is not really that great. Yeah, well, I, I was about to say, living like the, together. the European ideal has definitely not been one of unity throughout its almost its entire history. So, uh, And there are a lot of different languages and cultures and peoples. And, and that show, you know, this, this show goes to great length to, to you know, demonstrate that to us. Um, yeah. But, you know, we talked about it. Like, all these people see themselves as the next, emperor of rome or whatever seeing themselves the head of this great empire with united europe and you know if if you obviously have probably seems like you've read a history book once in a while you must know that that is just not what happens yeah now obviously the relationship Outside the eu that, i should say that's probably well right uh, that that live had with david has disintegrated now now that she's learned the truth but she's still got that relationship of sorts with Greta and you know is there a bond of respect that has formed between these two young women um, I would argue yes 
they're never going to be friends. And, and of course, Liv has her because she feels that Greta is my ticket to get my family back, which is sort of naive given everything we've seen of the crows. And, and she's seen quite a bit of the crows as well. But Greta bragging that all the lands will belong to the crows. And I love when she accuses Liv of being afraid and Liv's like, yeah, I'm afraid. Aren't you? Because, dude, you should be afraid mm-hmm. because they're not going to welcome you back with open arms. And it was almost, did Greta never consider that? Because I think we sure did. Um, yeah, she obviously has considered it, but she's just not afraid. And, you know, and again, when as Liv is talking to her, you see Greta has, you, you see her face kind of change. She doesn't really give up anything but it looks like maybe she's she might be afraid but then at the end she says i told you that crows never lie so when she says she's not afraid she's not afraid and the thing is and we we see this with keanu the essential thing to being a crow is you can't be afraid to die and so she's not afraid to die she's a she's a bozy she's a crow so so death does not pose any kind of fear for her at all so I believe her. She's not afraid. Okay. Okay. And that's a great point because my argument would have been she doesn't answer Liv when Liv says, aren't you afraid? She just doesn't say anything. But I I think you've probably hit on the the reality of- She says that crows never lie. Right. Right. But lie about what? But anyway- About being afraid. She said she wasn't afraid. Oh, okay. At so the, at the start of it, cr- she said she wasn't afraid. Then Liv had her whole thing, and that's the end. Oh, says, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they get to that crow checkpoint and the tense confrontation between the two armed groups, and, and uh, talk about naive. Like, yeah. I mean, Father Cameron getting out and putting himself in harm's way, snipers all over the place. We see the the weaponry that the crows have, and, and you know, unlike Liv, they're not uh, on horseback with bows and arrows, so, so they've got the weapons. He extends his hand to the crow and asks the name of the man with whom history will be made. And again, that, that naive approach and you know we bring up and i think rightly so the whole neville chamberlain hitler comparison and of course this is not going to get to that point because david has other ideas and and first takes out the crow with a nice headshot and then uh father cameron with a, a shot looks like to the chest but equally as uh lethal no there is going to be no peace between the crows and the crimsons well it, and now it, the, and now that David's involved himself, that's obviously out the window. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, even though I agree, and, and Vera says the same thing, that it is extremely naive of him to just get out and say, well, I'm Father Cameron, and, and tell your boss that I want to talk to him and everything. Like, it's like, ah, dude, seriously? You know, like, but what happens, though? The crow reaches out his hand to shake his hand. So True. that that possibility of... Of, of peace is, you know, maybe not such a long shot after all, you know, but there's always the guy like David who's not going to have it, you know. And then we have to consider, do we see Ivar extending his hand to tra- uh, to shake Father Cameron's hand? Because, 
this is a Bosey. And, and again, like you said, the, this Bosey maybe knows from his experience that, all right, peace is a possibility. I just don't know if I see El Capitan extending his yeah. hand unless the agreement is going to basically give the crows everything and the crimsons nothing so uh, you know we we'll see but well but, we, we know that ultimately there everyone's going to have to get in line together because we know that there is a larger threat coming that like they they father cameron doesn't know about i'd say ivar probably doesn't know about this you know the 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 black swarm coming from the east right you know ultimately they're gonna have to work together you know we we know that true now you know we don't know what kind of budget this show has as we've said most of the shows that we cover here on sci-fi tv rewatch don't have really big production budgets i thought that firefight scene was really really well done from the choreography to the special effects that they used i just thought it was really really well done oh yeah yeah that yeah. was it was super violent too but it was yeah it was a really good scene yeah i mean the the combination of the visuals the the you know that momentary slow motion just for a second the the audio it just really was intense mm-hmm. and and of course, Greta gets wounded. They find sanctuary in a building, and of course, she's like, "You've got to survive this." And then suddenly, David walks down into the room, and we're thinking, "Like, okay, great, everything's good." And all of a sudden, in a heartbeat, it's not good. Yeah, it's very and, not good. And I think, on the one hand, we know he's not going to execute Live. On the other hand, well, maybe we're not so sure. Maybe that's how this series is going to end. Or... Well, we know he doesn't because we saw her at the beginning of the of the series, right? Well, true. That well, that's true. But it, you know, now in terms of a timeline, I'm not exactly sure when that is because in that, as you pointed out last week. And and we were talking about two different scenes. I I had said at at the beginning of the episode she was in full military gear, and you said, no, she wasn't. You were talking about that that initial scene, I think. So when was that? Was that before what we just saw, or was it after? So I guess what you're arguing is it's after, and for whatever reason she's changed half of her military uniform at this point, Uh. which is possible. But again, regardless, the look on her face as he's pointing his rifle at her, she's ready to die. And unlike Greta, who has already died, although I don't think she realizes it at this point, um, she's terrified of dying and rightly so. And then you know he does we we've seen this before you shooting the gun in the air although he shoots into the floor to let your compadres know i did what needed to be done you know threats neutralized or whatever he says and and, and goes on but i don't know I, I i guess is it fair to say she just dumped him as a boyfriend at this point uh yeah i think probably there are really but you never know you know if she wants a uh 
um, a power-hungry megalomaniac to hang out with. Well, she's got that in her life, so. In, in different you circumstances, know. you know, maybe. But, you know, Greta dies in the street, lives sobbing, because she, she realizes now she has no leverage. We hear these air raid sirens blaring in the distance, and then all of a sudden a woman on horseback appears and offers to help live and 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 again we're waiting for you know live to turn around so so we get a better look and it's uh, a woman named alia says she's feman they speak and she's spanish got, too yeah the, the red face paint red outfit very xena-esque mm-hmm. which is a show i've tried to watch on a couple of occasions and just couldn't get into it people are but, into that show are big fans man that, that has know, a very loyal following yeah uh, so you know i'm sure i'll give it another shot at, at some point and, and i think to a certain extent it's production values are perhaps a bit dated but you know we'll see but what i did look up is, is that the femen is a real thing it's a radical feminist activist group whose goal is to protect women and it started a I want to say 2008 2009 i forgot to write that down and i believe it started in the ukraine and i think their headquarters is now in france maybe but but clearly it's a european group which then when we see you know this woman and she refers to live as sister right so is this simply a group of women again very xena-esque uh-huh. female warriors I mean, she's got the red face paint, the red outfit. I, I think that's where we're headed, which then goes back to when you pointed out that David and and the Crimson are afraid of of going into Femen territory. So who are these people? Who are these women? So to me, that's fascinating. I mean, this is this is the perfect group for live to now find herself with and i i just can't wait to see how this yeah. turns out girl power go for it yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah like and like i said i mean like you said that they are a european group well you know it seems like a lot of these groups well i guess not the origines right are very insular right and they it seems like they're all germans and they all grew up in this one area but almost everywhere else we're seeing this combination of different nationalities or cultures. Um, like I said, the, the, I can't remember what the, what, one of the people in the background definitely said something in Spanish. I can't remember what she said, but the, you know, you know, so, so we see that we have just, you know, all, all kinds of cultures, every, almost every group, especially the big groups, just a really uh, combination of, of cultures there, which is, it's just pretty cool. I also did just really quickly watch a uh, look, re, re, re look at the, um, that very first scene of the series. And you're right. She's not, I, for some reason I had in my head that she was in her crimson uniform, but she's not, she's standing in crimson headquarters and she's got her clothes on that we saw her originally in, and back in the origines with her, you know, vest and everything. So, um, you're right. We have absolutely no idea when that scene takes place. Right. So, but somehow uh, she is, yeah. You know, and again, I guess it could technically have been already, you know, that, but or it could be in the future she's going to find herself back at Crimson headquarters. 
Well, that could be because, I mean, she's wearing her military uniform at this point and she's riding off with the Femen. So, again, she doesn't have a backpack with her original clothes in there. But anyway, Keanu gets his bow. I I want to say, yeah, sure. About because David spares her, right? And just earlier this episode, Favara tells Keanu about her first Boge and how the guy, you know, kind of spared her or or eased up a little bit, which then allowed her to kill him. So yeah, I, I think it's no uh, accident that that story is revealed to us in the same episode where uh, David spares Liv, which I imagine he's going to come to regret that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good, good catch. I didn't, I didn't make that connection. Um, and, and and you know, you you bring up Varvara, and, and of course, Keanu gets his bows finally. But what's the deal with these two? I mean, there's clearly a bond developing here. Uh, you know, on the one hand, we could say that his spirit has been broken, and that you know he, he's now going to form a bond with her out of desperation whatever i mean you know we'll, we'll get to that i guess in a second but he tells her as they ride in the limo once again and and i'm really digging these limo scenes i mean it, it's not much happens it's just a little bits of conversation and he tells her you'll find an appropriate name for me and then as you said she recounts her her story which then you know i think we can start making connections she started her life as a slave and then got her boge and became a crow and then became a lord and here she is at this point rising up through the ranks so i guess you could say the crows are an upwardly mobile society if you know, if you have what it takes. So, yeah. uh, and, and then of course, again, you go back to Game of Thrones and Oberon again, just this, the same kind of deal here. It's like, because that's the technique she, I mean, she used a different technique, but again, it's like, why on earth in a fight to the death, would you back off this young girl? Yeah. I mean, just stupid but compassion is weakness empathy is your death and then the question becomes does she know who his opponent is going to be i mean she leans in and kisses him in the car after taking off her uh her metal nails and i guess on the one hand we'd have to say well yeah we know that ivar knows who his opponent's going to be but how would ivar know you know, the father-son connection. Well, unless- because, well she tells us, right? Dave Yacht ratted him out. and then Wait, she, To her? Yeah. And then she clearly went and told Ivar or, or said, right. hey, you know, you know, this guy Keanu wants a Boge. How about this? This would be great. This is a great idea for Boge. How about, you know, like right. you just see the, but the- like, the, like the, they, the more twisted something is, seems the more the crows enjoy it. Oh, yeah, but the the reason I bring it up that way is you see the look on her face as his father comes into the ring, and it you can see there's really a painful expression 
on her face that on the one hand is this the first time she saw that on the other hand no she had to know as we just said that that's how it 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 transpired does she set this up knowing that Keanu will win and will become one of her crows and that's what she wants all along. I think that makes a lot more sense, which then goes back to what I've been saying. What is her deal with him? Is she falling for him? Yeah. Or, you know, and is she, is she, his you know, mom? she is fine. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying that. I just, <clears throat> so, but yeah, I uh, no, I, she, yeah, I mean, you're right. There is something here and it's all on her end, right? It's not, Keanu, Keanu is the complete victim in this, and we talked about this. He's a he's a, a rape victim. He's a, a victim of sexual psychological abuse and everything. Um, not that these are even words the crows would even consider or understand, but you know, obviously, his feelings towards her, even though she's trying to be this kind of mentor or everything, she is making him hate her and she it says that openly and she's like you know your hate is your salvation your incentive to be she's making him into a crow right someone who has no compassion no empathy uh someone who is willing to kill or to die and has zero consideration for either outcome and that's what she's building. And she, you know, in order to do that, she has to, to break him. She has to um, literally, you know, uh, I think she said something about, you know, either you will, you know, you'll either be victorious or you'll be dead. And I think both happened, right? He won the Boge, but Keanu, the originis, is dead. The, yes. the, that guy, uh, Tarok, the crow, is is someone else entirely right and and again that's what's so fascinating about this storyline because you know he's waiting in the locker room before the boge and and we certainly get this call back to roman gladiatorial combat when he you know walks down you know into the ring and and just the structure of the the building they're in really had that roman feel to it but yeah thunderdome too right yeah yeah but before that she kneels before him hands him a dagger and tells him she'll see him after the fight and, and what really strikes me is the kneeling part which just really blows me away unless that's somehow part of crow culture and part of the protocol of this kind of experience but i don't think so i i I don't know what to make of it exactly yeah but but it definitely means something and he wants to know her name from before and that's where she tells him you know that no it's it's forbidden in our society and and you know and then off he goes into the ring his father of course goes back to I, I won't let this happen. And we talked last week. It's like, yeah, well, what's he going to do? Well, okay, now we, we know. But at, at that point, his father couldn't have possibly known that he would be thrown in the ring with his son. So, you know, you, we'll see. <laughs> and then they're given the choice. Hey, if you don't fight, not only will you die, you'll die by the wire. Well, they've already seen what that's like. So, yeah. Okay. It's bad for you know, a little bit, but it's over pretty quick when you're like. Well, that's 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 good point. Now, but uh, well, just one thing, real quick, about her name because her name is Sophia, right? Which is, means wisdom. So 
I just thought that was a curious choice for them to give her as a name. Well, yes. And, and that scene, I mean, it's, you know, after, after the fight and, and let me just hold off on that for a second, because I watched it. Oh, at least four times that, that, that particular scene to figure out whether his father pulls Keanu's dagger into his own chest whether it's an accident that, you know, they stumble or, or what exactly. We don't really get a clear shot of what happens there. Yeah, it, it seemed kind of accidental at, at first, but I, I think, like, Jacob, I think he, like, pushes it in a little bit deeper, you know, it, okay. it seemed like to me. But, I mean, either way, it, it's it's the same thing. We we know that, that Jacob wants to sacrifice himself for Keanu, so Keanu, he's not going to allow, you know, and there's the whole thing with him forcing Keanu to fight is because he knows that Keanu has to fight. Like, if Jacob just kills himself, that's not going to be acceptable to the Crows, and they'll probably still kill Keanu. He knows Keanu has to fight. He knows Keanu has to kill him. Um, so, you know, just kind of like a little bit of, you know, hard dad love here, you know, like getting his son to be a little rough with his son in order to get him to do what has to be done in order for him to live. Yeah. He cuts him twice. So, right. right. And again, but, but again, Varvara looks like she didn't know what was going to take place here, which just seems impossible. And I don't want to you know, keep harping on that, but they're in the locker room afterwards. And, and, you know, as you said, she tells a stunned Keanu that it was Dawiat's betrayal that, that put you in this position, distance yourself from your weaknesses. And then she challenges that notion. And, and we've kind of danced around this a bit. Did you think you could survive without getting your hands dirty? Right. And that's one of the things I love about Liv is that she's, figured that out she figured that out pretty quickly mm-hmm. that if i'm going to achieve what i need to achieve i've got to be willing to do some things that maybe i wouldn't have done in my past life so um you know then she says about the initiation and getting back to her name being sophia yes what you just pointed out is really telling but the other thing it's such an intimate act because we've learned what that means in crow culture so for her to tell him i mean what's her motivation for telling him i mean she's his lord he's a bozy now so why yeah i mean uh, yeah i don't know like 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 you said there is something to this relationship something more to this relationship right that she's yeah. gone out of her way to to promote him, to push him forward to, and everything. Um, you know, we see how she is breaking him down and tearing away all aspects of his former self in order to make him, well, I mean, it's almost like she's trying to build her own crow, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, obviously she is someone, like we talked before about, plans and everything and Vivara is a planner right and and i think the the depth of this plan is is right now beyond our ability to see but she's got something going like the, all this stuff with keanu is a i mean it, it seems like maybe there 
I don't know. Is is it like an actual attraction that she has, or is it all just trying to make someone maybe who can challenge Ivar? Well, that that could be as well. I mean, we don't really see any other women in her position. No, we don't really even see women bozies that, that I can well, remember. Creator. I mean, we see. Oh, right. Good point. Right. Right. Good point. But most of the women we see you know in the in the crow culture are there as window dressing apparently so you know she has achieved something that that most women do not but you know i wonder whether they'll look to flashbacks next season to give us more insight into where varvara is coming from because now that she's told us her name was Sophia, which is an intensely intimate act on her part. And you, I think, rightly so pointed out what she might be doing with him. Will we see where she came from? You know, she already explained to us her Boge, and it does seem, at least the limited experiences we've had, that these Boges are basically mismatches <laughs> so far. So that, uh, you know, in her case, I can't imagine they thought she was going to win that Boge and whatever it is she did to get the opportunity, we don't know. But will we ever get to see what she was like before she was taken as a crow slave? So meeting him, is there something about him that takes her back to that? you know, pure young woman that she was at one point. And, you know, I don't know. And gives her then the motivation to destroy that pure young woman and create another Lord Vivara. Well, yeah, but, or is it a reality that what, what are her, what are her options with him? Just let him go. I guess she could. She could. Yeah. Just just let him go. But, but beyond that, if you're going to be with us, then you're going to be with us and and I'm going to set you up as best I can. Again, he's got no reason to think that his brother and sister are still alive. Right. Right. You know, so, you know, and she does, you know, make sacrifices and does things for him much as who else would do such a thing. Oh yeah. Mother would do that. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I'm starting to, I'm starting to buy into that. I don't really, uh, well, well, here's the only thing. Like I would love that theory as sick as it is, but Jacob totally saw her like a bunch of times and didn't like react at all. Like didn't even raise his eyebrows. So I figure he would probably recognize his own wife, but, uh, but I mean, you, you, we can't deny the, first of all, Oedipal, right? I mean, I was going to say that we could have the scene where she hangs herself after, after, you know, putting out her eyes, eyes with her dagger, with, with her brooch. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and that could be because it's. I mean, this this episode was Oedipal AF, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, he kills his dad. Uh, you know, Vivar. I don't think Vivar is actually his mom, but she certainly is taking on that role. You know, after she raped him, uh, she's you know taking on this. I, I won't want to call it maternal, but. You know, she is almost, you know, like a, a more female mentor, I guess it is. But, uh, yeah. but you know, so while well, she's the mother, kills the dad, has sex with the mother. I mean, you know, Freud would be having a field day with this episode. Um, 
And then, of course, he gets the gas, and we still don't know exactly what the gas does, but it does clearly have an effect. I don't think it makes it more reasonable and good natured. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. Anything else you want to bring up we haven't talked about? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I'm, dude, I'm going A on this one. I, yeah. I just think they really did a great job setting up three separate cliffhangers, which in and of itself is not easy to do in a 40-minute episode, uh, which was part of a six-episode season. So I, I can't imagine they're not going to get a season two, but we shall see. Yeah. So. Uh, if they don't, man, that would be this, oh would, this would be up there with Sarah Connor Chronicles of you know the you know the 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 huge cliffhanger that just will forever remain a cliffhanger because like yeah like you said it's not just one cliffhanger it's three you know so yep so all right well why don't we get to our listener feedback and we've got a special treat for you uh this week from fred in the netherlands we'll be right back Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Tribes of Europa Season 1, Episode 6, the Season 1 Finale. What a terrible, devious and really cruel trick of Avara to put Keanu and Jacob together in the ring for a fight to the death. I really wonder how much this will change Keanu and if he eventually meets his sister Liv back, if she will find a completely changed brother here, completely bittered uh, whatever. Or will he become so brainwashed that he really becomes a crow? I don't think so, but still, that's what Vivara tries to do. An intriguing scene is the scene when Vavara is with Keanu on their way to his Bosch and she says, empathy is your death. But then she takes off her, let's say, claws and she touches and kisses him very empathically. I thought that was a strange combination because she showed to be, well, some kind of empathic. And perhaps this will predict her death. Vavara said to Keanu after he killed his dad, did you really thought you would get this far without burdening yourself, without learning what it means to hate? Use this hate. It will save you. Does this actually mean that Keanu is going to kill Vavara at some point? Who was the one that instigated that he had to kill his father, huh? Of course, the scene with Elia and Moses at the lake was quite predictable that something would come out of that water. It reminded me a little bit of Captain Picard and Data discovering the holographic village in the lake in Star Trek, the movie Insurrection. But it was very funny that uh, Moses said, we can stay a week here and nothing will change, just the weather and my mood. And then Elia throws the thing, the cube, or he tries to, in the lake. Peculiar, by the way, that they both enter the big cube without any real hesitation. And of course, this is an impossible ending of a season. 
So I actually expect that they did get a double season, uh, but you did, they just didn't t tell us. So that it, this is a season of 12, 13 episodes. But we just got half of it. Also perhaps because of Corona restrictions, etc. Will I watch the next season? Well, if you do a podcast about it, of course. But on my own, I'm not completely certain because this series is just a little bit too violent for me. Especially if you look at this episode, for instance, the encounter between the Crimson military and the Crow military and what happened all there. Uh, um, not really. Too much splashing blood. As you all know, my wife watched with me this first season of Tribes of Europa as a present, actually, for my 60th birthday. And I have a little surprise for you. I asked her what she would do if there would be a second season, which is very probable with this kind of ending. Would she consider watching this series further? All right. Well, let's hear what Vera got for us this week, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Vera, Fred's wife from the Netherlands. No, I'm not from the Netherlands. I'm from Germany, actually. So Fred asked me to give my two cents to tribes of Europa, and uh, I will do my very best. As you know, I, uh, it was a birthday gift for Fred. And I was very skeptical in the beginning because I don't like dystopian or post-apocalyptic TV shows. They are all, yeah, the same. <laughs> and it started the same. It was very predictable. I have watched The 100, before, for instance, and um, I saw a lot of similarities. Whatever. It's, uh, it's in German. So for me, it's easy to follow. The acting is not the best, except for Moses, whom I like uh, a lot. Mm, so the question was, uh, will I be watching season two of this show? And the answer is yes, I will, because of the terrible cliffhangers they, uh, they placed at the end of each storyline. And the most interesting to me is the storyline of Keanu and Lord Vavara. Keanu, who was very against the crows and tried to escape and tried try to get away with his father, was forced to kill his father. Yeah, that was a big surprise to me. Subsequently, he is introduced uh, to the crows and he's a bozy, I think they're called. And he gets his first uh, dose of uh, whatever the drug is. And I'm very curious how this uh, will develop further. Because, yeah, what, what, what is the relationship between Lord Vavara and, and Keanu? Will he fall in love with her? With, will he be the, her partner and, 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 and co-rule uh, uh, the crows? I don't know. It's, it's uh, interesting to me. Or, or is he uh, playing a double game and still the old Keanu inside and will whatever betray her and get away eventually? As for the Atlanteas and the storyline of uh, Ilya and Moses, it was very predictable to me because yeah, they are standing at the uh, edge of this uh, lake. And uh, of course, of course, the Atlanteas live inside the lake, of course. So, yeah, but there are some surprises, I think, uh, as well that uh, are waiting for us. And then we have Liv. Liv, I think, is acting very well as well. I like her. But I find her storyline the least interesting. I don't know why. But um, 
some uh, uh, because I I mean I think I'm restricted uh, in time. I have two minutes. Fred told me I don't. No. Uh, I have some more. Okay, whatever. An idea occurred to me today because the uh, crimson general who wants to talk with the crows and ma make a deal with them. That reminded me of um, your former President Trump and his willingness to, to talk with the Taliban to make a deal for Afghanistan and the U.S. And I think there are some similarities there. But that I, I think so, yes, that's, that's so, so. No, you don't talk to, with the enemy and they are not to, to be trusted and you can't, can't make a deal with them. But still. So, yes, to wrap this up. I will watch season two and I hope that they will keep up the, the good quality they have developed during season one. And um, perhaps I will uh, give my two, three, four cents uh, next season as well. We will see. Goodbye. Fred brings up whether Keanu is going to lose his origin self, which is what you alluded to, that that part of him has died now in favor of his new Crow family. And, you know, I, I think from a narrative perspective, they have to go that way yeah. because it then sets up the eventual confrontation that the right. siblings are undoubtedly going to have at, at some point and whether Liv buys into the Femen culture, which I think she will, you know, why wouldn't she? It, it, again, the Especially limited amount. She doesn't we, have much of a choice uh, right, right, well. right. So, um, so yeah, I think he is is going to lose that. Yeah. Well, also in that, I mean, like I, I, I'm almost seeing the whole arc. It's almost like I hope they kind of find a way to do this because obviously we both see it, right? You just said, it. you know, he goes full crow. He ends up actually being in opposition to his siblings, he is then confronted with his siblings, at which point he's going to become redeemed and he's then he'll be back to Keanu, his old self, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's I like, well, I obviously I, I'd like to see Keanu return, but you know, we, we said before, you know, like how, who he was before wasn't necessarily great. You know, he was just kind of starry eyed kid who just had this vague hope of getting away and getting out um, and so his story, I mean, he's the one who's changed more than his, his siblings, right? The most, um, because he has really gone from that, that innocence to that experience. Uh, and, um, so, you know, I, I, I see that whole story arc of his leading that redemption arc that he's going to follow probably, but yeah, on the other hand, I'm kind of hoping that they find a way to. I don't know that maybe they don't go that whole route either. So well, I don't know. I, I mean, are there happy endings in the apocalypse? And, and, and I think that's one of the things I love so much about the hundred is that throughout the six seasons that no, I mean, there are, but not really. So no, there's yeah. none in the hundred. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, now Fred also brings up about Moses and Elia going into the big cube without hesitation. And, and I guess my reaction would be, well, is there really any other choice? Yeah, what else are they going to do? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So um, but the treat Fred gives us this week is his wife Vera's feedback. And, and, you know, he told us, you know, a few weeks back that this was a, 
a birthday gift to him that she would watch this and discuss this presumably with him. And, and I love, you know, when she points out whether or not she'll watch season two. Yes. Cause of the cliffhangers. And I was also intrigued by the fact that, that she mentions having watched the hundred because I always got the, the vibe from Fred that maybe she wasn't into the violence and, and of course, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I mean, there's there's being into violence and then there's being into violence. And, and I don't mean the, you know, that, that she enjoys it. But um, as Fred said, he probably wouldn't watch season two of Tribes of Europa if we weren't going to cover it because it, it is a bit too violent for him. I, I think like most of us, she's intrigued by the Keanu Varvera story Um I love the idea that they'll co-rule, which would then imply that they oust Ivar at some point, which, you know, is uh, certainly a possibility. Do you agree with her when she mentions about the the Atlanteans in the lake being predictable? Um, Well, I I think, and Fred kind of touched on it as well, that, you know, when they get to that lake, you're just like, well, obviously something's going to pop up out of the lake. You know. Well, it has to, but but I mean that's where the cube led them. So why would you think otherwise? Right. But as as far as being predictable, like like the the lake being where the cube takes them, I, I mean I didn't necessarily see that or ocean or whatever. I don't know where they are. Um, they traveled about one hundred and ten miles from wherever they were previously. Um, so yeah. Lord knows where they are. I maybe assume. I mean, if they're the Atlanteans like. Did they travel to the Atlantic coast, like the West coast of Europe? So, right. And we know they have the hover jets. So, you know, there is that aspect, but we do know from a technological standpoint, they are ultra advanced compared to the rest of Europe. And we don't really know what's going on in the rest of the world at this point. So, and then I'm glad it didn't have to be either of the two of us to mention about Trump and the Taliban negotiations. Yeah. And we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But, uh, awesome feedback, both of you. And, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll watch another show that Fred's covering with us and, you know, offer yeah, some more honestly, feedback. Fred, you, you, I, you might have to watch out for your job, it. buddy. Yeah, I was good. <laughs> <might>. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Um, any final thoughts, uh, no, on this I'm, one? I'm good, I think. Okay. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Tribes of Europa. Deadpool coming up, you guys. Um, if you want to reach us, join the Facebook group if you haven't already. The email is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. But we'll be back next week to talk about Deadpool. But until then. Yeah, it's a little known fact about this show that right before we hit record on this, Dave says, hey, Wayne, are you prepared? I'm not either. <laughs>